Thanks for downloading or purchasing this sermon from Christchurch Forward. To find out more, visit forwardchurch.co.uk or join us on Sundays. Remember this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and whoever sows generously will also reap generously. Each man should give what he has decided in his heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to make all grace abound to you, so that in all things, at all times, having all that you need, you will abound in every good work. As it is written, he has scattered abroad his gifts to the poor, his righteousness endures forever. Now, he who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will also supply and increase your store of seed and will enlarge the harvest of your righteousness. You will be made rich in every way so that you can be generous on every occasion and through us your generosity will result in thanksgiving to God. This service that you perform is not only supplying the needs of God's people, but is also overflowing in many expressions of thanks to God. Because of the service by which you have proved yourselves, men will praise God for the obedience that accompanies your confession of the gospel of Christ and for your generosity in sharing with them and with everyone else. And in their prayers for you, their hearts will go out to you because of the surpassing grace God has given you. Thanks be to God for his indescribable gift. Well, a very good morning to you all. Let's pray as we open up God's word and listen to him speak. Let's pray together. Father, we've just heard you as you speak to us through your word. We've heard of your generosity, and I do pray this morning that every single one of us would know you for who you are in your goodness and in your truth. So I do pray your Holy Spirit would work in us and among us and through us and encourage us deeply by you, our wonderful God, in Jesus' name. Amen. Go to church. Cut out your swearing, read your Bible, cut out the pub trips, don't forget to pray, get the kids under control, buck up your lifestyle, and make sure you give. Is that what being a Christian is to you, to live under this life of strain and obligation and expectation? Is that what you think God is doing up there, sitting in his his ivory tower, the disapproving, out-of-touch, grumpy old judge who tuts and wheezes and coughs every time you get something wrong? Is that how you see God? He requires our attention, so perhaps we'll give him a smile, a nod each week, each Sunday, just to keep him happy. Maybe we put some money in each week. We give him the nod. Maybe it's a significant amount of money. Well, that will keep him off our our backs maybe to the following week. 
Or maybe most of the time, it isn't that at all. You genuinely look forward to coming together, meeting with God's people. You love God. You want to serve him. But your relationship with God is wrapped in fear and uncertainty. Doubtful questions always tapping away. Am I really good enough? Is my faith even real? Am I genuine? Is God really interested in little old me? Well, our passage this morning, 2 Corinthians chapter 9, our passage should taste very, very sweet to each and every one of us. There is no hint, we didn't hear it in the reading, there is no hint of burden-laden obligations, and there are no guilt trips. No, all we've read and all we've heard so far is we have bountiful harvests. We have extravagant gifts, wholesome and fulfilled lives. We have rich generosity, excitement. We have deep, deep thankfulness. We have heartfelt friendship and partnership. We have cheer. We have excitement. We have pleasure. And we have satisfaction. For this is what it is to be a Christian. And at the very center, at the very heart of this passage, we have a generous God. And he longs to see us good. He gives and he gives and he gives. And when you don't think you can take anymore, any more of being loved or happy or satisfied, well, he keeps on giving. He gives some more. Let's have a look at the details here in chapter 9. We've been exploring the context over the last few weeks. So we've got the Jewish Christians uh, in Jerusalem being hit by a severe famine. We find out about that in Acts chapter 11. And they're struggling because of this famine. And in chapter 8, verse 10, Paul celebrates the fact that this, this church in Corinth, this Corinthian church, were keen to give. And he encourages them to complete what they had originally set out to do. Keep giving. And here in chapter 9, 6 to 15, well, he affirms why they will all want to get involved in the action. Why will they want to get involved in giving? Answer, for them, there will be big-time reward. So let's have a look. Verse 6 and 7, well, Andy's already talked about it. We've set out this very simple agricultural principle. You don't need to be a farmer to work this out. If you don't put much down... You don't pick much up. Simple as that. Or as my wife Lucy on occasion has to remind me, you can't come out of Tesco's with bread and carrots from the clearance shelf and then sit down expecting a five-course gourmet meal in the evening. Doesn't work like that. No principle, go big or go home. But you see, God never puts us under any obligation here in this giving. Verse 7, he makes it very clear He's not out just to pinch your pennies, just for fun. He looks at us getting deep into our pockets just to squeeze every little bit more or more. He doesn't do that. No, he's not a needy God. You see, when you give, you're to do so out of joy and love. You are a willing investor. And it's a huge deal, isn't it? It's not a huge deal. This completely wipes out miserable giving. Giving because you feel you should or out of guilt, perhaps. Or maybe you're trying to buy favor with God. Perhaps for you, it's you've got a percentage in your mind. 
each week or each month. And as long as you stick to that, well, God will be pleased with you if you stick to that. Sometimes you might even go over. You're feeling in a really good mood. You go a little bit over and God's going to be really happy with you. And sometimes you scrimp and you you go a little bit under. And well, that's when you're in trouble. You need to get that back into the plate very quickly before anyone finds out. Nothing of that here. No, God loves a cheerful giver. Whatever we give. You see, God wants us to be excited about investing in his kingdom, this partnership we can have with one another. He wants us to be so pleased at how our contribution can make a real difference in someone else's life. So just as the banker will will get up in the morning, he goes to the coffee shop, he sups his, uh, his espresso, full attention on the direction his stocks are going up or down, well, God intends for us to love watching one another as we give, seeing how our money can make a real difference, getting excited by it. So whether it's a young child rescued from the streets of Central Asia, she learns, suddenly she's brought in, she's learning how, to, how much her maker loves her. You support her financially. You support her right through her education. Well, that's exciting. Or investing in gospel partners locally, internationally, through the church here. Well, the joy in learning how they're doing, well, it's dramatically elevated, isn't it? When you've got a buy-in, you've been investing in it. Or perhaps a Christian family in rural India where the dad has just been killed for his faith and you give and you smile because the money God has entrusted you to give, well, it feeds and clothes the family left behind. You see, these are high returns, high returns indeed. And while we forget the stuff you ordered from Amazon yesterday, we're already bored of it now, I think, before it even arrives on the doorstep. Well, you don't forget the joy. You do not forget the joy of lives impacted by the investments you make. Reflecting on this over the last couple of weeks, uh, I was just thinking about a, a story of where I had a friend um, who'd come from Tanzania. He'd come over here for, um, for theological education for a couple of years And he'd moved over here actually on his own. He had family back in Tanzania. Tanzania. Uh, And then he'd come over here. And his intention was to train and then to go back and lead student ministry in Tanzania. And uh, we we kept in touch. uh, He stayed with us for a week uh, during a mission. And then we kept in touch. And then a couple of years later, he hadn't ever asked me for money. He told me about his struggles, and being very honest with that. He'd never asked me for money. Anyway, the, uh, I had a family member die uh, and give us some money. We inherited a, a significant enough amount of money. We, we were just setting up home at the time, 11 years ago. I'd just been married to Lucy, and we were setting up home, and we decided to give some of it away. And we give some of it. We prayed, and we give some of it to this friend. Uh, and anyway, the next day, um, I got a phone call, and he was in tears, He was in tears, and he said, Chris, you don't know what this means to us. We prayed, we were praying, we had asked no one. We had asked no one for this money, but we were short in getting our our flights back to Tanzania. We didn't have enough. And we prayed for God, and you give exactly what we prayed for, what we needed. I had no idea of this. Now, the reason why I tell you that is because that was 11 years ago. I have no recollection I mean, I can guess, but I have really no recollection of what we spent the rest of the money on. And it's not that we spent it on bad stuff. It wasn't bad to do it. 
But 11 years on, that's what stayed in my mind, investing in the kingdom. And that's me being truly blessed by really the the few pounds, the few pennies that I give at the time. You see, when we invest in God's kingdom, he works and we grow. You see, it's here, whoever sows generously will also reap generously. God loves a cheerful giver, and God gives us much to be cheerful about. And for those of, those, those of you who are savvy investors, I know we have a few, you want to know what the return looks like before you invest. Well, Paul very kindly and helpfully lays it out for us. Have a look in verses 8 to 11. You will be given opulent spiritual wealth. You see, in contrast to a dark world of self-interest, shameless self-promotion, distrust of one another, hoarding wealth, ruthlessly targeting elevated status, lusting after the downfall of rivals, well, we have here a very different picture in these verses. You see, we have a people who are cheerful and have, verse 8, all they need. You see, they are content and they are satisfied. They're happy. You see, this is what the generous God gives to them. So often when we hear God won't give us these material riches beyond compare, we're disappointed. Why are we disappointed? Well, the only reason we're disappointed is because we haven't understood actually what he is going to give us. You see, we're given pleasure in what we have. We're given satisfaction. So instead of restlessly and anxiously never stopping, always striving for more until we're mentally exhausted, physically incapable, or we're dead. Well, we can sit down in an evening. You can put your feet up, drink in your hands, and you can smile because you're satisfied with what you have. And make no mistake, this is the bigger gift that so few attain. If I asked you, I won't, but if I asked you to put up your hand, those who are truly satisfied and content here this morning, well, my guess is there wouldn't be too many confident hands that go up. Well, that's what's on offer here in 2 Corinthians. God's people, verse 8, in all things at all times... Now, all, that covers a lot, by the way. So when the cancer diagnosis comes through or when you have to explain to the family you're being made redundant or when you've lost someone very close to you, well, the promise is here in all things at all times. Whatever circumstance comes your way, God will provide in your need and he'll grow you. He'll grow you in your love, in your generosity, Now, it may come in a number of hard-to-recognize small steps. You might not see your growth very clearly, but the giver will grow and grow and grow as they give. And as the passage says, they will abound in every good work. You will flourish. You will flourish content under a generous God who delights in you and you can delight in. 
See, that's the person we have in verse nine. I won't ask you to read it. Lovely thing to do if you've got spare time this afternoon to read Psalm 112. We've got here a picture of the righteous servant who trusts and delights in the Lord. You see, in contrast to many others around him who store up wealth for themselves, only for themselves, they despise the needy, they trample on them just to get to wherever their their goal is, to get to the top of, wherever their sights are in, they trample them down. Well, this man is different. He's wise in his affairs. He's gracious to others. He is merciful. He does what is right. He teaches his kids to do what is right. He and his family, they're honored from afar. He has great wealth. And what does he do with it? Verse nine of our passage, he gives it away. He gives it to the poor, who others only despised. He loves them. He builds them up with no concern to how he himself would benefit. And his legacy, well, it's here in front of us. His legacy and impact for good is unstoppable. His righteousness endures forever. You see, these are the aspirations God has for his people. No less beautiful and generous. That's what he wants to see. Us beautiful, generous, standout light in a greedy, self-sufficient world. But make no mistake, self-sufficiency is but a lie we tell ourselves. When we want to feel good about ourselves, when we aim to try and elevate ourselves to some sort of God-like creature. Self-sufficiency, we've made ourselves, we've worked hard, and now we only need to look after ourselves and depend on no one else. It's a lie. There are no self-made men and women here in 2 Corinthians 9. See, the true God is the one who gives it all. Verse 10 Well, he supplies the seed and the bread. See, the God who gives us so much, all that is good, that's the sort of God he is. And you see, contrary to popular opinion, well, he doesn't need us for anything. He doesn't need our charity. He doesn't need our prayers. He doesn't need our giving. He's perfectly happy already. He's perfectly satisfied in himself, this glowing, brilliant relationship between Father, Son, and Spirit. But he chooses to rain down good on us. And the Bible is rammed with this stuff. It's rammed with description after description of his lavish generosity. I'll give you a few. Lamentations 3, 22 and 23. Because of the Lord's great love, we are not consumed, for his compassions never fail. They are new Every morning, great is your faithfulness. Psalm 36, how priceless is your unfailing love, O God. People take refuge in the shadow of your, of your wings. They feast on the abundance of your house. You give them drink from your river of delights. Matthew 7, if you then, though you're evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give good gifts to those who ask him? 1 Timothy 6, command those who are rich in this present world not to be arrogant, nor to put their hope in wealth, which is so uncertain, 
but to put their hope in God who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. You see, this is not a closed-handed God. He opens his gigantic hands and they're bursting with good to give us, meals with friends, camping trips with the kids, steak, wine, beaches, peaks, shopping, golf, swimming, climbing, singing, reading. He pours them out on us. And as we ourselves, we give away the resources he gives us, well, we're never told we'll be given more to keep ourselves happy to hoard. We're not told that. But our capacity to appreciate what he's given us is sure to increase. And we're given enough to keep giving richly. We don't run dry. Look at the Macedonian church. It's in chapter 8, verse 2. They're under severe trials and extreme poverty. How does it finish for them? It's welled up in rich generosity. And well, as we open our hands to receive from the giver, well, our hands are open to give. And as our hands are open to give, our hands are open to receive more from this great giver. And our hearts will wonder at him in joy. So as you start to think of this wonderful being who created hundreds of billions of galaxies, or at this very moment, he knows exactly what every single one of you are thinking. That might scare you, but he does. He knows what everyone in the whole world is thinking and doing and what they're going through. He knows the whereabouts of every animal, every insect. He's providing surfing waves for for a teenage boy in California while at the same time blowing the wind so a child can enjoy a kite in Scotland. He's managing it all at the same time. And you begin to dwell on how magnificent, how amazing that is. The detail that he looks at, the caterpillar. Do you know the caterpillar has 228 muscles in his head? Or the elm tree has six million leaves. I went on a, on a bat walk last night in Forge Dam. It was very interesting. I found out 1,200 species of bat. He doesn't just make one type of banana. Hundreds, hundreds of variations, just because he can, just because he can give them to us. And see, we're so often on the defensive about God. But it, it really, we should not be. We should see it as madness when one does not marvel in him. He is the highest possible source of our happiness, of our pleasure. And how does a receiver respond to all this, to such lavishness? Well, we have it here in verses 11 and 12. There's only one way to respond, really thankfulness. You see, generosity breeds this natural outpouring of thankfulness to God. So as the Jerusalem recipients receive the gifts, well, they will praise God for the Corinthians. The gift not only meets a need, an urgent need, but it does so in a way that will bring praise to the God who provides for them. 
You see, in contrast to the billionaire who starts up his next high-profile philanthropic venture to be bestowed with great worldwide honor, he goes to his black tie dues with important people celebrating him, well, you see, the sacrificial giving here only shows off God's kindness. He gives the resources needed and he enables the church to work in gospel partnership together serving one another's needs. And the people, they would have it no other way. You see, it is the great giver who is to be thanked and as the church literally put their money where their mouths are, well, they show that they really do believe in this gospel that they're preaching about. You see, in verse 13, God is to be praised for their actions. Paul is preaching this gospel far and wide, and he's preaching it to be at the very heart of the church's identity. We've, we looked at this last week, 2 Corinthians 8, verse 9. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you through his poverty might become rich. You see, this gospel message at the very heart of who they, who they are, Christ came from the splendor of heaven, came down. He did not need to, but he came down in love. He died. He rose again. And the church has everything. And the Corinthians have been taught the significance. And now they're being asked, respond to it. Show us you believe it. The Macedonians, they did it under severe trial. And now the Corinthians have this opportunity to open up their bank accounts in praise. And as we close, we have no right to this pleasure. We have no right to any gifts at all. The only thing we have a right to actually is, is, is to be blown off the face of the planet probably right away. If you don't thank and love a God who's made you to enjoy him, well, that's really the only natural conclusion but a very painful death from a very perfect Jesus tore the curtain, removed the guards to God, and it gave us everything. Now you'll see this in its full, splendid wonder in eternity, but we've got plenty of it now to look forward to and to enjoy. And I ask you as we close, do you enjoy do you live each day in this knowledge that you are in God's favor? If you're a Christian here this morning, you are in God's favor and he smiles on you. For you see, this is what Jesus gives you. This is what the cross gives you. The crescendo of God's generosity to us. And it's the only reason we can enjoy anything. Are you able to say to yourself at every moment, whether the kids are screaming around you, you're under pressure at work, whether you're sitting watching the football or you're out shopping, do you remind yourself, the great creator is my father. Jesus is my redeeming king. The spirit is my indwelling teacher and cleanser and comforter. I have a loving family of believers who will help me press on and my home, my home is with this generous God where you'll enjoy him forever. 
Well, God has given us this surpassing grace. And what we should do, all we can do, thanks be to God indeed for his indescribable gift. Let's pray together. Again, reading 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 9. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor, so that you through his poverty might become rich. And Father God, we come to you this morning, and we wonder at you. We're amazed by you, and we're so thankful for your generous, generous gifts to us. We thank you so very much for the Lord Jesus Christ who has given us everything in him. And we thank you that you rain down gift after gift after gift upon us because of his death and resurrection. And I do pray this morning that we would know your generosity, that we would worship and praise you and heartily know you to be a God who deeply loves us. In Jesus' name, amen.